Hello, everyone, and welcome to Downsizing, the podcast where we try and figure out when the office actually ended because everyone would have been fired. My name is Curtis, and I will be your host, and with me is my co-host and resident office expert, Antoinette. Hey, everybody. Today, we will be discussing Season 2, Episode 9, Email Surveillance. And in this episode, Big Brother is introduced to the office, Jim throws a party, and a new office couple becomes more evident. This episode's cold open can be summed up in three words. Michael gets racist. Yeah. Uh, he It starts with him just sitting in his office, says it's another beautiful morning in Scranton, and he looks out his window and he sees a guy walking across the parking lot in a turban, and he immediately panics. Just runs out of his office uh, to the open part of the office and tells everyone to shut the lights off and to be quiet. And I don't know what he thinks is going to happen, but then we the next shot is him at his desk saying that he and the IT guy did not get off to a very good start. Yes, so this is the IT guy showing up to the office to install the email surveillance software onto Michael's computer. Michael takes this opportunity to kind of figure, try and figure out what the people in the office are saying about him. So he decides to look up the thing that is most important to him, and he tells the IT guy to search Michael, boss, and funny. And Michael is ever the eternal optimist in this scene. So Mm -hmm. he's just so convinced that he has the office just in stitches and is this great stand-up comedian. And really the first email that is pulled up is from Stanley uh, to someone on the outside of the office. And he's saying that Michael is an ass for making him work late. (laughs) Right. And it is another one of those things where Michael sees the results and he immediately assumes that all of these people are saying he is funny. So when the first email comes up as Stanley, Michael's like, oh, Stanley, great guy, great worker, you know, uh, really like him. And then it turns out it's a bad email. And so Michael's like, oh, Stanley, not that great of a worker. <laughs> and it's interesting that he would want to surveil everyone's email it's not a very big office and quite frankly i mean this was 2005 but if this was set in like 2019 you would just assume that everyone's email was being surveilled in some way yeah so oscar asks him about it in front of the office asks why the emails are being surveilled and michael just tries to laugh it off and says "Eh, that's not happening because michael thinks he's doing this in secret he thinks that he can do it without any without any of the employees knowing about it right and so michael denying it and oscar's like it just sent out a memo about it why is this happening Because I think you would have to let people know either in like the employee handbook or in something they sign. Right. And so Michael just kind of takes the point out of it, which I mean. (laughs) Again, I don't know what he thought he was going to find. Sure. Well, he does find something 
He is looking through Meredith's emails and he finds an evite to a barbecue at Jim's house. And from the evite, you can see the rest of the guests list. And it appears as though everyone else in the office has been invited except for Michael. And this really just rips Michael apart because for Michael, this is literally possibly the worst thing that could happen to him is to be excluded. Right. He thinks that he is best friends with everybody in the office. So, of course, he would be invited to a barbecue. So he says to the camera, maybe I'm just not as approachable as I think I need to be approachable or to the rest of the office. So his way of doing that is to go eat lunch. So I get the impression that he eats lunch at his desk every day. Yeah. So he has decided that today he will go and eat lunch in the break room in the kitchen area with Oscar, Kevin, Jim, and Pam. Michael's lunch is a cup of noodles. And he says that he used to eat this all the time in college and uses this to segue into kind of poking around about the party that is going on. He says that the thing he missed most about college is the parties and just goes into this diatribe about how everybody was invited, the the jocks and the nerds and the professors were all (laughs) there. And Pam questions the fact that the professors were there. And Michael's like, oh yeah, they were, they were the best. They were the coolest guys there. And meanwhile, Jim gets it. This is a thinly veiled reference to parties and authority figures. Like, you can tell he's uncomfortable and he's squirming a little bit, but he's not budging on inviting Michael. Right. This becomes a real issue when Dwight asks Jim how to get to his house, essentially. And Jim is just like, hey... Keep it down. Not everyone is invited. Which you would think Dwight would have figured that out because you can see the guest list on the Evite, but maybe he didn't look at that. Right. So Jim tells Dwight that it's actually a surprise for Michael. So don't ruin the surprise for him. And so then Jim has to tell Pam, you know, hey, I've got this, I've got this prank going essentially. So that's fun. And while he's up at Pam's desk, he also sort of slyly asks, you know, for numbers sake, for the food, I just need to know numbers. So, uh, is Roy coming? And Roy is not going to be at the party. Because it doesn't seem like the warehouse workers were invited, but he would have been coming with Pam. This was something I was thinking of just randomly during the day a couple of days ago. <laughs> I don't think we've seen the warehouse workers at all this season. Oh, uh, I think you're right, actually. We've only seen Roy. Right. But we haven't been down to the warehouse or seen any of the other workers. We've heard Roy reference them during the fire episode. Right. But yeah, I think you're right. So far we have not seen them. I know we will see them coming up because... No, I'm thinking of season three, actually. Yeah. I don't know if we see them in season two. I can't recall. But you're right. Just something odd, I know. Yeah, just, yeah. So, yes, Jim kind of puts the feelers out as to how flirty he can be with Pam uh, tonight, 
essentially. Yeah, and how much he has to sort of be on his best behavior, and if he has to interact with Roy, anything like that. And Michael is really getting desperate by the end of the day. So around 4 o'clock, he goes to Jim's desk and asks what Jim's plans are for the night. Does he want to hang out? Jim's like, ooh, you know, uh, can't, can't hang out. And Michael's like, oh, well, I'm busy too. I have improv class and then I go out with my improv friends. Mm -hmm. So poor Michael, you just see his vulnerabilities very apparent. Because then as everyone is walking out, it's about 10 past 5, he is literally bombarding people about their plans as they're walking out the door. And it's kind of odd to me that there was clearly some kind of communication between Jim and everyone else in the office or just between everyone in the office, everyone else in the office in general about, hey, Michael's not invited to this. Yeah. Do not tell him Don't that there him is a party tonight. And he knew Dwight. He probably knew Dwight wouldn't go along with that. So Dwight wasn't part of it. But Angela was. We see him try to bombard Angela, Kevin, Oscar, and Dwight. And Dwight is still under the impression that it's a surprise party for Michael. So he's like, well, I will see you later. Like, you know, but I, but maybe I'll see you on Monday. Right. At Jim's party, it is your standard house party. Jim lets everybody know, hey, drinks are over here. We got a karaoke machine. That part's not quite so standard, I guess. Yeah. Um, and we'll be grilling food later. Uh, we're about to take a tour, so whoever wants to come. That part's a little weird to me. Like, and he lives with a roommate. But yeah, the fact that a couple people were going on tour. Yeah. A tour. That, I mean, obviously for the sake of the show, the reason for that tour is to get Pam into Jim's bedroom, essentially. Yeah. And it is kind of a weird thing because they play it up on both ends of this. As Jim is explaining as to where they are going to go on the tour, yes. Pam is kind of listening intently. And, and when you hear Jim say, we'll get to both bedrooms, you can see her kind of perk up and kind of get very happy about the fact that she will be going into Jim's bedroom. Yeah, and also Ryan asks Jim if Katie is going to be coming. Yeah. And Jim says, well, I haven't talked to her in a while, which the timing of Katie just bothers me throughout this season. It is weird because we are going to see her yeah. in another episode She's going to pop up pretty soon on Booze Cruise. Yes. And so on the flip side of the bedroom situation... Pam stays behind. Weirdly stays behind and just is like looking around Jim's bedroom. Yeah. And then he comes back and is like, oh, I thought we lost somebody. Right. But you, I would be really creeped out if, on both ends. One, if I just happened to just come across someone in my bedroom. And then two, if I got caught just looking around someone's bedroom. Well, you have to understand the situation here. As we have seen in pretty much every episode, any kind of interaction Jim has with Pam, he takes it as the greatest thing ever. That's so true. Pam just kind of hanging out in his bedroom. 
he there are two different kind of camera angles where Pam is sitting on Jim's bed and they have the shot where you can Pam is in the foreground and Jim is in the background and Jim just kind of has this like oh she's sitting on my bed <laughs> like look on his face oh man and then she runs over and grabs his yearbook and she's flipping through it and reading it and Jim is just like sitting there looking at her on his bed yeah like all like googly eyed yeah have you ever seen i think it's like a tweet meme or something that says the difference between interpreting something as sweet or creepy is whether or not you like the person back i've not seen that okay but i feel like this applies a little bit in this definitely before we move on can we talk about jim's bedroom what about it it's very high school college dorm ish sure i i put jim at what, like 24 yeah 3 they all have to be mid 20s right like i do agree with that but it it's could be like this could be someone's college apartment cuz they have like uh, party lights in the kitchen and prince it's very much a uh, mid 20s single guy house yeah which that's what jim is so right it's, it's to be expected probably a little bit cleaner because it's a tv show than right. actuality right. i don't know very many clean males like in general or just <laughs> that they keep their house clean their their living area clean the latter yeah that's yeah i they're out there but yeah for the most part you and far between yeah unfortunately while the party is going on, Michael is participating in his improv class, and this is just a five to ten minute segment of just cringing because oh, of how terrible Michael is. He is like a toddler. Yes. Because he has to be doing what he wants. So he's he's like a toddler and an eight-year-old. He has to be doing what he wants, and he'll get bored by anyone else's suggestions or the scene that anybody else sets. And then no one ever wants to partner or be in the same scene as him. And we figure out why is because every scene he's in, he is an FBI agent, Michael Scarn, or some variation of that name, and he always has a gun. And he tells the camera that's because, like, think of the best thing you could do. You can't top that. Yeah. Which just has to be annoying. So it's, rather than going along with the concept of improv, which is move, working together with a group to kind of make everybody look good mm-hmm. and to make people laugh, he is trying to essentially win the scene. Yes. Yeah, so he doesn't have that team mentality. But it's interesting that he seems to enjoy or talks about improv because he clearly isn't picking up on people are annoyed by him. He is finding them annoying that they want to set these scenes that he finds boring. Yeah. But the thing is, he they can't ever respond or act with him because he shoots everyone dead. Literally. In the scenes. So it's I'm not sure what he wants to get out of it. Right. We do see a 
brief moment of a breakthrough where it is a common improv scene. It's a tag out scene, essentially, where they set up, I think, just a starting point. Two people act together. Somebody says freeze and somebody gets in and essentially they change the scene mm-hmm. from based off of what was going on. And what they're seeing. And everything. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And so you have Ken Jong, who is one of the improv mm-hmm. participants, and another woman. And Ken Jong has his hands up and like he's kneeling down. And Michael tags himself in and turns it into Ken Jong being a fortune teller. And everybody in the room is kind of like, oh, wow, he, yeah, he's he doing it. it. He, and Ken Jong responds and like, okay, well, I'll I'll tell you your fortune. You will be happier leaving than you were when you came in, or something along the line, those lines. And Michael freezes and then pulls, tells him to come in closer and whispers something in his ear and Ken Jong raises his arms and the instructor asks Michael why is why is what did you tell him and Michael's like nope nothing and the instructor asks Ken Jong why he's raising his arms and Ken Jong says he said I couldn't see it he couldn't show it to me but he has a gun yeah so Michael just again completely ruins it and at the end of the class all the other class members are going to a bar and Michael overhears that. He's like, oh, okay, we're going to this place. They're like, oh, uh, actually, we all know this one person uh, independently of one another and just happens to know him, and it's a private birthday party. Michael's like, oh, okay, we'll have an office party. It's fine. So I do feel bad for Michael here because he is off-putting to where he has been excluded from two events on the same night. Right. But he actually shows up at Jim's party. Yeah, not the greatest look not by him. At, not at all, because anyone would know that he found out because the email surveillance. Right. And honestly, I wouldn't expect less from him. Like, you knew that was going to happen. And it was definitely awkward. Like, there is a sort of a pall that goes over the entire party, and he's like, I brought some wine and old karaoke and people are like, I don't know what to do. And Michael points out how dead the party is and he doesn't equate it to him being there. Yeah, his presence sort of led to that. Because he clearly knew that everyone knew he was not invited with how he was asking literally every person as they were leaving the office what they were doing that night. And Jim doesn't say anything, you know, doesn't ask what he's doing. Dwight yells out surprise, uh, yeah. thinking it is the surprise party. Um, and then Michael gets in on the karaoke saying he loves karaoke, like he wants to do it. And he's singing Islands in the Sun. Is that what he's singing? I don't know. He's singing the Kenny Rogers, Dolly Parton song duet and is looking for a duet partner. Can't get Pam or Kelly to come up. And eventually Jim just sort of like gives in and joins him. And that's sort of Jim's recognition that it's fine. It's okay. You're you're welcome at the party. Yeah. 
Meanwhile, throughout this entire episode, we find the culmination of little clues here and there comes to a head when it is pretty much confirmed that Angela and Dwight are a couple. Yes. It starts when, after the office is informed that their emails are going to be surveilled, Dwight goes to Angela and says, you should probably delete any sensitive emails. And Angela's like, yep, already done it. Which makes you wonder what they were sending over work email. Right. People weren't people weren't very careful about emails and electronic communications in the early aughts, though. For sure. The idea that your emails could come back to bite you wasn't really in the zeitgeist yet. Yeah. You think? I think people kind of assumed that it was it's it's there and I sent it and now it's it's, gone forever. Yeah, that's a good way to sort of describe the consciousness, if you will, surrounding like electronic communication. Yeah. So not true. No, not at all. (laughs) So Pam overhears this interaction and just is thinking that that is very odd. So yeah, she, she weird calls, thing to say. Yes, she calls Jim over and tells him and asks him, do you think they are a thing? And Jim very adamantly says, no, 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 no. I Mostly because he just doesn't want to think about that. Mm-hmm. Yes, so, so following that tidbit about the emails, Pam asked the camera crew if, they can inform her if there's any other clues that they notice, if they see anything good. And we really actually don't often see any sort of interaction between the camera crew and the employees that they're filming. This is the only time, and then we don't see it again until season nine. Yeah, and it's kind of a it's kind of a weird thing. Like you said, there is not much brought up about the camera crew. It just seems like this is, it just seems like these are people just kind of talking to the screen, essentially, because it is only kind of mentioned in passing in the very beginning of the show. Like there is, there is not much of a introduction of, okay, we're going to be shooting a documentary about Life in the American office. Like, why they're being filmed. Yeah, it is just kind of a, hey, there's cameras. And, we'll have like, Jan, for instance, has referenced on the phone with Michael, are the cameras in there? Right. So there is a sort of recognition that there is a camera crew. Right. But not huge. Right. Because most of this show is kind of more in the vein of Parks and Rec, where... Mm -hmm. It's the same thing. There are interstitials with the camera, but in Parks and Rec, it's just that's what happens. Like, there is no documentary. Yeah, there's no greater storyline, this meta storyline of it's a show within a show sort of thing. Correct. But the, the ask to the camera crew pays off because Pam is in the break room with the vending machines, and Angel's in there, and she's buying a baby Ruth. 
And as Pam tries to put her money in there, Angel's like, oh, excuse me, and buys a second baby Ruth. And later, the camera crew points out to Pam, hey, Dwight's eating a baby Ruth. Right. So we see that. And at Jim's party, Angel and Dwight are talking outside, and Pam notices that as well. And she asks Phyllis if Phyllis knows anything about any secret office romances. And Pam sort of gets a little bit of comeuppance here because Phyllis assumes that Pam is talking about her and Jim. And Pam's like, no, 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 no. Right. In very typical Pam fashion. Yeah. She then kind of stops all of it and denies everything. Yeah. She says that, you know, I was wrong for thinking that Dwight and Angela were in a romantic relationship just because they talked to each other a lot. And like, they could out. just be friends, and that's that's it. Like, just because people hang out and talk to each other doesn't mean that they like each other. Again, a full denial of the feelings that she has for Jim. Yes. And while Michael and Jim are singing karaoke, we get a shot outside of Angela and Dwight's feet. And they're clearly on a sort of of a lawn chair and they're making out like the way their feet are positioned. Right. Um, That gives that sort of implication there. So Dwight and Angela are the actual first real office romance that we have. Michael and Jan. (laughs) Don't. Don't sell Michael short here. (laughs) I guess. I guess. So let's go back to the annex with Antoinette and find out any fun facts about this episode. Just a couple of fun facts. Like uh, Curtis mentioned, Kim Jong is a guest star in this episode in the improv scene. There is a rando at the party. Wyatt Snack is also in the improv group. Oh, I didn't even notice that. Yep. Oh, nice. There's a rando in the party scene, so we haven't gotten the last of just random people showing up for office events yet. And at the party, at Jim's party, they're actually drinking real beer. Normally during filming of shows and movies, as I understand it, it's water or something else. But um, according to um, the IT guy, the guest star that the guest star who was the IT guy, they were actually drinking beer during the party. And they got to play games on an Xbox 360, which at that point hadn't been released. That wasn't like a thing. So um, that's pretty fun. Yeah. I thought you meant that they were drinking an actual beer. As in like, no, but as in like, it wasn't just some prop beer in terms of like, it's a brand that doesn't exist. I thought you meant they were drinking a brand that actually exists. Yeah, no, that's what they were drinking. Right. I, I get that part. Oh, I get oh, that they oh. were actually drinking beer, but when you said that they were act, they were drinking real beer, I thought you oh, meant like, like that's a brand. they were drinking a real brand of beer rather than a fake brand of beer gotcha. that they came up with for the show. So they didn't have to do any um, right. advertising. Curtis, I don't think there were any firings this episode. I agree. We do see Michael being racist, but it wasn't in a, an openly discriminatory way. So, I yes, I agree with you. No one yeah, gets fired this Just episode. a personal strike for Michael. Right. 
Do you have a Dundee to give out? Uh, yes. The Dundee Award for Arrested Development goes to Jim. What about you? I have the Dundee for Worst Ventilation goes to the school that they had the improv class at. In the very first scene of that, when the instructor asks, all right, who who wants to be in this in the next scene? Michael raises his arm or raises his hand and he is pitting out really hard. And the woman next to him also raises her hand and she's wearing a sweater and she is also pitting out and very so hard. Kim Jones. So everyone was hot. Yes, it was very warm in that classroom, clearly. Uh who's your employee of the month? My employee of the month goes to Dwight, basically for not spoiling the fake surprise that the barbecue was. Oh, also, side note, completely off topic slightly. Jim was not having a barbecue. Jim was having a cookout. Okay, that's also fair. He was not actually barbecuing. There was no, yes, he did not smoke any meat, and barbecue meats were not being served. No, it was hot dog. Yes, burgers and chicken. Yeah. So Jim was having a cookout. (laughs) Very important distinction. If you ever invite Curtis to a cookout, don't call it a barbecue. Right. Uh, Anyway, yes, Dwight was my employee of the month for not spoiling the fake surprise to Michael because that's definitely something he would have done. Yes. Who is your employee of the month? Uh, My employee of the month is Kelly because she tried to get Oscar and Stanley to talk about something else besides paper at the party they were at. And then they all realized that they couldn't. And that's a pretty typical occurrence if you ever go out with coworkers. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> also, I it's kind of odd that those were the three minority employees. And they were And talking. they were the ones talking to each other. I don't know. Like, it's just kind of an odd. And Kelly still is not the Kelly she will become yet. No. She's still, like, eh, kind of uh, just Kelly. Just, I work here. Yeah. More or less. Yeah. So that pretty much does it for this episode. Do you have anything to add? I do not. All right. We're hitting our stride into season two. I forget what's next. Christmas. Oh, wait. This is a fun one. It's a cringy one, but it's it is a fun one. It is Peak Bad Michael. Yeah, for sure. One of the many views we get of Peak Bad Michael. Yeah, like, like we've said before, season two is rough. And I always feel like if people who are like, oh, I can't watch it because of Michael, if they can get past season two, it does even out. That's a big ask. Though. Like, it's it's easy to say that in hindsight. I thought it, I mean, I never had an... That's a big ask of something. Like, if you... I guess I came in on season if five. If you legit have to tell somebody, you know what, just get through the first two seasons and it's great. You... <laughs> Like, is it really that good of a show, Ben? It is, because I think also what happens past season two is we get more storylines with other characters as well. And that's why it's also right. a little more tolerable, because it's not just so Michael heavy. Right, and I I don't have an issue with season two. It's season one that I have the issue Season with. one, yeah, as we talked about in our season one episodes, just a little uneven, you know, if Steve Carell's star hadn't risen at the at the right time, The Office would not exist, and neither would this show. Yeah. So. 
Thank you all for listening. Yes, for sure. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at DownsizingPod to get all the latest updates on new episodes. And be sure to keep listening and following on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen to your podcasts. That will do it for this week. Thanks for listening, and we will see you later. Bye.